Welcome to Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And we are here to talk about Season 2, Episode 11 of Farscape, Look at the Princess, Part 1, A Kiss is But a Kiss. Yes, we are at our first Farscape three-parter, something that will become a bit of a thing that this show does. And this particular three-parter was written by David Kemper and directed by Andrew Prowse and Tony Tilsey, all mainstays on the Farscape writing and directing team. Mm-hmm. These two directors, Andrew Prowse and Tony Tilsey, are listed as the directors on all three of these parts. So I have to assume that they did actually shoot it like a movie, like with a first and a second unit. Because otherwise having two credited directors seems unusual to me. Yes. So you ready to get started? Sure. So the episode opens with Aaron doing a very, very sexual flight demonstration with john she's showing him how to do like evasive maneuvers and stuff in his module is sci-fi extra horny because it was written by nerds because that's sort of the feels like sci-fi is sort of an extra horny genre does sci-fi always feel extra horny to you i feel like farscape is extra horny even for sci-fi i don't know i mean like even star trek which is sort of I'm going to offend some people here. The most white bread sci-fi mm-hmm. out there. Even that has like, oh, Spock has the sex fever and now he's got a, you know, space stick it in someone or he'll explode or whatever Ponfar is. Well, have you heard the analysis of why Vampire YA took off back in the 2000s? Vampire Romance YA? No, no. Okay, so a vampire lover, Edward, as your vampire lover in the Twilight universe, is safe. You can fantasize about him, but he is so much older than you, and he is not going to have sex with you because the book was written by Mormons. And, like, it's it's a very safe fantasy. You don't have to worry about being, about all of the things that you actually have to worry about with sex when you're, you know, a teenager or even an adult. Isn't this why the slash fic community is such a thing? Yes, and that that's another, that's a reason that slash fic is so popular as well. And this is all to say that... Next Generation was that for me. Like, I could have all of my romantic feelings and imagine a scenario where there is no threat of assault or disease. And I'm like, there you go. That's that's the fantasy there. You mean Next Gen, the series that had Famke Jansen as the... Famke Jansen, I'm sorry, as the... Sexy sex lady who lived in a box until it was time for her to have sex with whoever wanted to have sex with her sexfully. Yes. But importantly, that's a scenario that is, I, I was going to say rife with consent issues, but in fact, it's it's consent issues all the way down. Mm. And yet in Next Gen, they sidestepped that. She made the choice to not... Okay, so people who haven't seen the episode, the deal is she's like this psychic, empathic alien. And when she meets the guy she's supposed to marry for political reasons, she can like lock onto his brainwaves and become his perfect woman. And that's her deal. But the box gets opened before she meets the guy and she ends up meeting Picard 
and she decides that she likes the person that she is when she's around him. Like, she likes the person that is his ideal woman. So she locks herself into that personality and is just going to marry this guy for political reasons. Like, she makes a choice to not have her personality subsumed by the guy that she's in a political marriage with, and she makes the choice to get into that political marriage. So, in Next Gen, a scenario that is the most, like, consent, dubious sci-fi trope somehow injects consent into it. Or that uh, episode where... There's the planet full of space lesbians who are all space lesbians for each other, except for Riker, because when Riker shows up, they're all like, ooh, let's have sex with Riker, because he has a beard and is tall. Wait, do you mean the episode with the people who have no gender, but then the person is like, ah, but actually I'm a woman and in love with Riker, and then there's like a weird thing where they tried to do a trans episode but with cis people and it, the, the metaphor just doesn't really work yes okay i'm sorry i i always go straight to you saw the guild right of course remember that oh, yes i know you have the giant <laughs> we're, you... we're sitting in front of a giant signed guild poster right now yes <laughs> so you know when um the bald guy you remember when he's into that actress from that old sci-fi show and he gets into an argument with someone about it, and he's like, it struck a blow for uh, sexual liberty. And they're like, you mean by that episode where they just have an orgy? <laughs> okay, wait, but this whole point that I was making was that I cannot adequately judge how horny Star Trek is because it served a specific developmental purpose for me that is not inherent in the show itself. Which is that it was a safe place for me to start to, like, imagine what sex would be like. Well, I mean, but that falls under my greater point, the thing I first said, which is that sci-fi is pound for pound a hornier genre than other genres of fiction. Okay, number one, I see what you did there. Hmm. <laughs> pound for pound. And number two, my point is that I don't know if that's true of Star Trek for everyone or if that was just like a weird quirk I had. Well, I mean sci-fi overall, not just Star Trek. Oh, yeah. Well, and then I'm, I, so then I'm like going through it in my head and I'm like, well, Babylon 5 is not horny, like at all. But... I mean, I'm mostly going off of the sci-fi I've seen. Granted, Star Wars is not exactly a sexual, uh, it's not really sexy, but Star Trek is... Andromeda is bad, but it is also very, very horny. Um, Stargate, not horny. Farscape is definitely horny. Well, this is what I'm saying. Even if we decide that science fiction is more horny than your average genre, Farscape is hornier than that. Dune's horny. Dune is horny. Okay, now I'm going to have to do like... I'm going to have to give some thought <laughs> to sci-fi and whether or not it's more horny than your average genre. Well, because sci-fi also gives you license to be horny in weirder ways. I mean, I guess fantasy also opens a lot of those doors, but... Yeah, although I feel like fantasy, you get more romance than horniness mm. in general. I can, I, I'm already thinking of some really horny fantasies, but... Do you think that's because fantasy tends to be gendered more female as opposed to uh, sci-fi? Well, no, because I think we'd all agree that the horniest genre is romance. Which is gendered female. Mm. I think it's because fantasy tends to 
incorporate medieval ideas or our ideas of what was medieval ideas of courtly love. And so it's inherently less horny. Actually, I'm not sure if uh, romance is inherently hornier than sci-fi because aren't most romances about a single relationship developed over time as opposed to, you know, Kirk sticking it in everything that moves in the universe? How would you quantify horny, I suppose, is what I'm saying here. Well, okay, romances, though, aren't about... Uh, yes, they're they're usually just a single relationship, but romances are about the the longing mm. leading up to the consummation. So you're saying it's quality over quantity? Yes, it's it's artisanal horniness. It's not mass horniness. <laughs> so an entire courtship is more sexual than someone sucking like 40 space dicks. Yes. Well, I mean, it depends on the quality of the horniness, right? Like, the one relationship in Red, White, and Royal Blue is hornier than all of the sex that Kirk has in original series Star Trek. Even in that super racist episode where he marries that lady on the amnesia jungle planet. Oh and my god, that episode she gets rocked is so bad! Oh my god! It might seem like we're off on a tangent here, but this I feel like this all deeply relates to this episode. Well, okay, so I've already stated that Farscape is hornier than your average sci-fi show. Mm -hmm. It's possible that sci-fi is hornier than your average television show. And this episode in particular is soups horny. Mm. Mm. Anyway, as I said, Aaron is giving the super horny lesson to John about how to take evasive maneuvers in his pod pod his you know piece of crap spaceship and they're doing what i like to call smallville talking where they're having a conversation basically into each other's mouths in this case though i mean it's supposed to be like prelude to a kiss conversation john is like hey so are we gonna do it are we gonna do it and aaron's like oh we probably shouldn't because it's a small crew and the drama could get really intense. And then they just start making out. And then Aaron like jumps out of the pot. She's like, no. Yeah. Credit to them. This was always one of the things that bothered my dad when I was watching Smallville as a youth, uh-huh. because he'd walk into the, he'd walk into the room while I'm watching it. And he's like, are they going to kiss? And I'm like, I don't know. Probably not. This is how everyone talks in the show. And he's like, why are they so close? And I'm like, I don't know. That's just how they talk on this show. It's like, you don't get that close to someone else's mouth, and now you see where I get it, but that's... <laughs> it's weird. But, I mean, they got 11 million years of Supernatural out of that, so... Yeah. I mean, like I said, you know, sometimes it's about the longing. Erin runs away from her feelings, or John's hormones. She says to John, I will not be a slave to your hormones. And they have this, like, intense conversation where john wants to know why she won't have sex with him when she obviously wants to have sex with him like what is she afraid of and she feels john yes she's afraid of catching the feels like that dude she had sex with and then murdered that one time exactly and this conversation is happening in the hangar while chiana like sits there chilling just listening to it all like oh man (laughs) and 
when Aaron runs off, Chiana's like, so, uh, John, do you want me to give you advice since you're clearly striking out a lot? Or, you know, a hand job. I could also do a hand job. And John's like, no, no, I, I don't. E- either one of those things from you would be worthless. <laughs> yeah, I mean, speaking of horny, Chiana, like, rubs up against him and is like, hey. She's a cat person. She is a cat person. The uh, This particular horniness is interrupted by Pilot telling them all to get to command because there is a problem. They have entered an inhabited star system and now defensive cannons appear to have locked onto them. Yep, it's a peacekeeper settlement and everyone's freaking out because, you know, that's le bad. Well, and peacekeepers aren't supposed to be this far out in the uncharted territories. How could you tell? They're uncharted. <laughs> right. So Moya is stuck. She can't run because if she runs, then they'll shoot. So I guess they're going to have to bluff their way out of this. Or, as it will turn out, truth their way out of it. Can they not starburst? How long does starbursting take? Long enough that the people would be able to get a shot off. Mm, Okay. So, yes, they're going to have to talk to some peacekeepers. Bum, 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 credits. Ben Browder's speech doesn't really work with where the plot is now. It does! Wait, he's being hunted by an insane military commander. I think he's being hunted by a regular military commander. Okay. I thought you were going to make the argument that Scorpius hasn't been around in, like, forever, but this would be a bad episode to make that argument on, because this is where he finally comes back. Also, he's been around way more than, uh... Crace was? Yeah. But I mean, like, are they really strange alien creatures at this point? You spent so much time with them. Yeah, at this point, it's just offensive. Yeah. Stop saying I'm different! (laughs) So everyone's getting into their ready-to-die positions back on the ship. (laughs) I love how John immediately confronts, um... Rigel. Rigel, yes, thank you. He's like, hey, look, I know that you sell us out, like, the first chance you get all the time. Don't do it this time, and Rigel's like... Well, I mean, if they offer me something and John's like, ugh, but does not do anything about the situation, like throwing him in a space hole or something. Well, Rigel thinks he should be in charge of the diplomacy since he is, you know. Supposed to be good at that sort of thing, although God knows he's never good at this sort of thing on screen. I know, but he is, you know, the dominar. He is the ruler. And it turns out that he is not needed because the planet... The, the guy on the planet, Counselor Tino, confirms that there are no weapons on board and he believes their story that they are not actually peacekeepers. They are, in fact, escaped prisoners who overthrew their peacekeeper guards. And since this is not a peacekeeper colony, but a separatist colony, a colony of free sebations who took off from the peacekeepers, then they're all on the same side, right? Enemy of my enemy. Yeah, they decide to dedicate their society to orgies and terrible short bangs. That is accurate. They tell Moya's crew that it's all good, they can leave, and they can't come down to the planet because it is coronation time. So, you know, they can't have them down on the planet now. And Rigel insists that since he is the Dominar, diplomatically, they need to let Rigel down on the planet. And Counselor Tina's like, okay, I, I, I guess. No one's going to touch your fish dick, Rigel. Well, mostly they want to get down on the planet because they want to trade for supplies and stuff. Mm. 
we've seen what could happen when they get out too far and, you know, don't have enough food. Oh, yeah, the whole Zan thing. Yeah, right? They could always eat Rigel. Or pilot's arms, they grow back, right? It is weird that they were willing to cut off pilot's arms in the first season to get a star chart, but nobody even brings it up when they're starving to death. Hmm. I mean, I guess it's kind of rude to be like, hey, pilot, we need to eat your arms. I mean... Oh, no, no, I'm arms. What does Moya eat? Is she solar-powered? Yeah. Yes. And that also sustains pilot, then. Yes. Nobody's, like, throwing Pilot a taco so he doesn't starve to death. No, Pilot's fine. That's a Futurama reference. I just... I mean... It's weird, but also, like... Maybe he should have offered? I... I just... I mean... If I had limbs that regrew and everyone around me was starving to death, I'd offer them up i think well especially if you have a limb there if you have limbs that regrow and you're going to die because one of your people who lives with you is spewing death spores all over the place because of how hungry she is then like it's not even really a sacrifice it's you helping yourself out yeah but that's a conversation for several weeks ago. We are not there now. Yes, John walks into a room where Chiana is having sex with Dargo. Yeah, they do this really awkward thing where Aaron has shut him down. So he's like, screw it. Chiana, you want to go down to the planet with me? And he hears Chiana in the throes of passion screaming, yes, yes. And he's like, ah, she wants to go down to the planet with me. Yeah. Yep. And he opens- Horniness has destroyed John's ability to understand context (laughs) right oh yes it goes into chiana's room and finds her you know riding dargo dargo presumably naked dargo no no this is it's a really quick cut but time has passed dargo is dressed now okay dargo slams john against the wall and he's like look Nothing good ever happens to me. Do not have sex with the lady I'm having sex with or I will rip you in half. And John's like, God, whatever. I was only going to her because I was leftover horny from not having sex with Aaron. This is a really horny episode if you haven't got that from how much we're talking about sex. Well, that's... Like five minutes in. Well, and Dargo's not just saying don't have sex with her. He's saying don't screw this up for me. Don't blow it for me. Which would presumably mean don't have sex with Chiana and be better than I am. Oh. Which one has to imagine would be incredibly easy to do. Dargo seems like he has one move and it's terrible. I feel like, you know, I kept telling you that I think you're going to start to like Dargo later. I feel like his relationship with Chiana is the thing that eventually mellows him out. I, I really start to find Dargo a lot more enjoyable from this episode going forward. With one really unpleasant exception. Mm. So we go into the CGI place where all of the free sebation, well, where all of this colony of free sebations live. And they're having like a Star Trek sex bonding party. They're having a kissing party. Okay, so... Everyone's wearing togas, there's crystal spires everywhere. It's it's your basic sci-fi utopia setup. Also, I should be precise. I, I refer to them as the free sebations, but that's what the people on the planet in Thank God It's Friday again were. 
These uh-huh. are the breakaway colonies. I'm not sure if there's a difference, but just to be precise. Mm. So at this uh, futuristic kissing party, there are these little vials of liquid and all these people are putting the liquid on their tongues and then kissing. And a woman comes up to John and does the same thing, you know, puts the liquid on her tongue and on his tongue to kiss. And Aaron is like, oh, my God, what is this even? What? Aaron mentions, oh, you're back to John before this woman comes up to him. Aaron's like, so you're back to me after Chiana turned you down, huh? And he's like, no. But the woman comes up and she offers him the drop on the tongue. And he's like, no, I stopped raving years ago, which. (laughs) John never (laughs) rove. Yeah, I I can't imagine John being the sort of person who does drugs voluntarily, no matter how much Ben Browder likes making those facial... Uh, you know what? Those facial expressions make me fairly certain that Ben Browder has never done drugs. Yeah, right? And the times that we see John faking being high clarify that John has never actually been high voluntarily. Hmm. But they kiss, mm-hmm. and she's like, oh... Sorry, not a match, and goes off to presumably kiss some other people. A dude comes up to Aaron and tries kissing her, but she's like, try kissing John. He loves kissing. He's kissy McKiss face. And, and I love that the guy turns to John and is like... And John's like, nope, it's the 90s. <laughs> but instead he starts making out with some other lady. John, though, doesn't seem to mind that no one wants to hang out with him after they kiss him. He's like, this is the best planet ever. You know what this party really reminds me of, though? What? The episode of Community, the uh, Meow Meow Beans episode, <laughs> when they're doing the futurization of the campus party. Yeah. It really reminds which obviously, I mean, this is the kind of thing that that party was referencing. But... Fives have lives, fours have chores, threes have... Threes have fleas. Threes have fleas. Twos have blues. And ones don't get a ride because they're garbage! Yes. That is one of my favorite later Community episodes. It's really good. And Community had a really good last season that no one saw because it was on Yahoo. But, yeah, it's it's worth checking out. The last season of Community is way better than it has any right to be. Considering they lost, like everyone basically everyone i i love abed's thing with um patrick brewster yeah with her character where he's like i don't understand how you're supposed to fit into our group because you're too much like me and annie to really have your own individual niche yes she was such a strong addition to the cast though frankie really made it work in that last season But back to Farscape. Speaking of new additions. Yeah, so there's a sinister-looking lady and and her sinister-looking fiancé. Yes. I thought it might be a brother-fiancé situation. Just... No, no. It's it's just... Honestly, you know what this is? This is the plot of A Christmas Prince. (laughs) Oh my god. The guy even kind of looks like the evil cousin from A Christmas Prince. We need to watch the third one. We do need to watch the third one. But this guy is the brother of the woman who's going to be coronated, or who may be going to be coronated. If she can find a dude to stick it in her. Yes. I'm sorry I'm being so crude this episode, but honest to God, I thought this episode was really, really boring for how horny it is. Really? 
Oh, I'm disappointed. Sorry. Maybe we should have watched the whole thing all at once. Mm. So that you got all the payoffs. You only got set up. You didn't get any payoff. Well, anyway, the guy is talking to an alien that we haven't seen before. A Gorn. <laughs> yeah. A Skarin. Mm. And he is upset because he understood that his sister's genetic code had been modified. And now it seems like there's this new peacekeeper who might be compatible with her. Okay, yeah. So this lady can only take the throne if she finds a mate before her whatever birthday, right? Yeah. She's and she's basically got like three days to find someone that she can genetically mate with. And her brother, to make sure that that didn't happen, slipped her a gene-ruining pill. But maybe if there's someone who's not sebation, that could gum up the work some. Not sebation, but still compatible. Right, exactly. And... Humans have the magic ability to impregnate any alien species. So, Sebations actually have that quality as well. That's how What's-His-Bucket came to be. Scorpius, yes. And that's why it makes sense that these Sebations would have this, you know, this potion, liquid, charm, whatever it is, that they would have this thing that lets you know if you're genetically able to breed with the person that you're with or not. Speaking of horny, Zan's meditating. She's... Taking this opportunity to re-priest up because she decided to get back into being a priest after she killed that wizard guy. Yes, that's what happened. So she's she's on Moya meditating. She's going to have her own little plot. Does that priest guy ever come back or was that the end of it? I mean, the wizard guy. No, that was the last Maldus. We only get two Maldices episodes. So back at the party, Chiana and Dargo, just for fun, try the liquid to see if they're genetically compatible and they're not and you can tell yeah it's one of those weird things where you can tell they're both disappointed and Chiana's like it was just for fun we just wanted to know for fun we're not going to actually have babies but it's like ooh, this was a mistake because how is this going to end okay 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 doesn't that just mean they're not like ideally genetically suited does does it mean that you can't have babies with them at all because i don't think that would be how it would work right i mean clearly john could impregnate either one of those women right every time i've watched this i've assumed that it means they will not create children like at all they can't i assume so that's weird though right that John would not be compatible with the women who made out with him? Yeah, why not? Like, You're right, he should be. He really should be. I just assumed it was like, you find the person whose genetics complemented yours perfectly or whatever with the, the thing. No, I always assumed it was about whether or not it's possible. What's up with John then? Right? What is up with John? That's a good question. Oh. <laughs> uh. Anyway, somewhere else in the party, Rigel and Aaron are talking about why there might be a Skarin here. And the deal is... It's a party, obviously. (laughs) Well, basically, since these breakaway colonies exist, there's a lot of political jockeying to ally with them. So the Skarins want them, the peacekeepers want to pull them back in, other people in the uncharted territories might want to ally with them. You know. Meanwhile, Aaron is being the shittiest person at an orgy. 
She's sitting in the corner getting drunk, and whenever someone approaches her, she's like, Ugh. And she waves them off. This one guy comes up to her, and she starts making out with Rigel just so he'll leave her alone. And Rigel's like, oh, gross. Get your sweaty mammal lips off me. And she's like, I'm only going to kiss people who don't want to kiss me. <laughs> I guess a lack of consent is Aaron's thing. Ooh. Ooh. Who does she think she is? Insert reference to fiction here. Back on Moya, Zan is like wandering around singing and meditating when Scorpius's command carrier shows up. <gasps> yep. Scorpius is gonna scorp. Yep, Scorpius has found them. And since He's they way better at this than uh Crace ever was. Yeah. Yeah. Well, since they don't have time to retrieve the crew from the planet, Zan says that they should starburst away and hope that Scorpius follows them to lead them away from John. Hmm. So that's what they do. They starburst away. Couldn't have done that earlier, huh? Well, the cannons were trained on them before. Starbursting really takes that long? That's what they told us. Okay. Whatever. And and then once and then once the cannons weren't trained on them anymore, they were like, "Oh, well, let's go down to the orgy then." Hmm. I mean, yeah. So John's about to put his fist through Rigel's face because Rigel made out with Aaron when suddenly open shirt Chancellor man shows Counce- up. Counselor Tino. Counselor Tino. He's like, "Hello, John. Me and my tiny man bangs want to have a uh, conversation with you." And John's like, "Shut up, Spock." <laughs> Yeah, Counselor Tino is like, hey, um, you're wearing peacekeeper uh, clothes. Are you a peacekeeper? And John's like, no, I killed one. That's this. That's his outfit. I'm wearing a dead man's clothes. And Tino's like, okay, so since you're not a peacekeeper, would you please uh, try the kissing potion with this woman right here? And everyone kind of stares at them, so we understand that this is an important kiss, not like all of the other casual kissing happening. Hmm. And when they kiss, they are compatible. Hey, look, we found the one woman John can impregnate for some reason. I guess so. So John gets asked how the kiss tastes, and he's like, sweet like molasses. And the chancellor's like, cool, you have to marry this lady now. Yeah, he calls the guards to, like, grab John for, you know, his own protection. Which is good, because the Gordon's like, hey, have that guy killed. Come on, dude. Well, the prince is like pissed off the prince is like no she's not supposed to be compatible with anyone and the gordon's like fine i'll kill the guy and that way you'll inherit the planet and then i can you can just give it to me and i can use it for whatever yeah i mean the the idea is that the skyron is going to uh be the power behind the throne manipulate he's going to be the rasputin essentially so john is let off and he's like um I love the uh, exterior shot of the pyramid thing because it kind of looks like one of those just weirdly designed churches you drive by sometimes. Oh, I can see that. To me, it looks like the uh, the now defunct Life Pavilion at Epcot Center. Yeah. Yeah. It looks way more weird Earth thing than alien thing. Yes, definitely. They were like space Mormons or whatever. I don't think Mormons have weirdly shaped churches. No, they're like space mega churches, though. They're space Protestants. Mm. Yeah. You see some funky looking mega churches out there. Yeah, you do. So the guards pull John away and they're like, hey, um, 
will you marry our princess? And John is like, um, no. no. And they're like, we can offer you a life of, like, ease and peace for all of your friends. And John's like, mm, I, I really want to get back to my home planet. And they're like, why? And he's like, ah, ah, ah. And then John runs into the prince, Prince Clavor. And, you know, he does the ominous, guess what? I'm actually the villain thing, which everyone cottons to right away. Every, John is like, ah, this guy's the villain, right? This is the... This is this is the you this is the, the scheming prince, right? <laughs> you mean this weaselly looking unibrow guy is evil? What? Oh, you're right. This is the planet of the two short bangs. I was gonna say the two short bangs make him look evil, but every male on this planet has bangs that are way too short. It's their like look. <laughs> Counselor Tyno fills John in that yeah, the deal is the princess needs someone genetically compatible. Her DNA was poisoned. And John's like, by the prince, right? And Tyno's like, well, yes, but we're all too polite to say that it was obviously by the prince. I mean, honestly, this has real things that are relevant to the today's political situation in it too much. Yeah. Where it's like, hey, this person in power has done something blatantly evil in front of everyone, but they're not facing consequences for it for basically no reason. Too real, Farscape. Yeah. Definitely too real. Meanwhile, Aaron is mad at Chiana for not jerking off John because it's made him so horny he's going to have sex with the princess. And Aaron Aaron doesn't want to have sex with John, but at the same time, she doesn't want John to have sex with anyone else. Yeah. Maybe it's selfish of me, but I just don't want Kelly to be with anyone. <laughs> I would rather she be alone than with someone else. Is that what love is? <laughs> That's an office reference. So, Aaron and Chiana go off to find John, leaving Dargo alone so that Scorpius can approach him and be like, Hey, I'm gonna give you my evil villain spiel now. I was wondering if this was, I don't know, John's brain Scorpius or something, because... Scorpius is way more chill in this episode than I think he was previously in the show. Yeah. He's like, yo, Dargo, what's up, bro? Long time no see. And Dargo's like, what? Scorpius really becomes, the more we have him on the show, he really becomes that trope, the, uh, like, tea with the enemy trope, mm. where the villain, is like- it Mar uh, pizza and margarita shooters? That is what he says in the other episode. But no, I mean the trope where the villain is like, sit down and have a villainous dinner with me while I calmly tell you my plan because I'm five steps ahead of you. Like a carpenter who builds stairs. <laughs> that was also an office reference. <laughs> anyway. Meanwhile, the Scarin who's, you know, manipulating the prince sees Scorpius talking to Dargo and is like, oh, so John and all these people are Scorpiuses. Yeah, they're like with the peacekeepers and I'm against the peacekeepers. So I want this colony of people who are the same species as the peacekeepers, but not with the peacekeepers. I want them to do my bidding and they won't do that if they get reabsorbed into the peacekeepers. So we need to put a fork in this. We also find out because the Skyron tells the prince that Scorpius is half Skyron. That's his deal. We haven't known his deal until now. 
He's just been some pale SM alien. Now we know his deal is that he is half peacekeeper, half dragon gorn thing. Okay, so when you're half when you're half gorn looking motherfucker and half space fascist, you come out as an SM alien. Okay, so I'm just gonna I'm gonna like Socratic method you there. Yes. Do you remember what the Sebastian's really big weakness is? Heat. And and the dragon people breathe fire. Yeah. And he I, I, I remember you telling me he has the gimp suit because it keeps him cool. Yes, because otherwise his brain would fry itself from like the two different halves of him. Did they figure this out while his mom see this is the sort of thing where I'd figure that the like potion that tells you not to impregnate people would be like, hey, maybe don't do this. You know what? That's probably true. That that had those two had 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 Scorpius's parents used the potion, it probably would have said not genetically compatible. And yet here stands Scorpius. But they were like ready for this. Did they have like a little baby gimp suit ready for when he was born? Yes. Okay. Okay, now I'm just like imagining Farscape babies. Farscape babies making our dreams come true. With like a little, with like a little baby Scorpius. With like a little baby gimp suit. <laughs> okay, so the words baby gimp suit have been said multiple times on this <laughs> show now, so that's, that's, that's a thing that happened. Okay, time to move on. Wait, who would be nanny in this scenario? Would it be Moya? Is Moya nanny? Pilot. Pilot. But we can't see his feet, and that's the only part of Nanny we see. Well, we would just see, because we've seen his tentacles before that go down at the bottom of the ship. (laughs) So we would just see his tentacles. (laughs) Hey, if anyone listening wants to draw us fan art of Farscape Babies, just know we'd be open to seeing that. (laughs) I've been drawing some weird stuff on Twitter, but I'm not doing that. No, I'm just throwing that out there to our listeners. Yes. We have some very creative listeners. We do. Anyway, Moya's gone. Scorpius is here. Dargo tells John, hey, you know what you should do? Uh, you should marry the princess because Scorpius wants to suck the wormhole knowledge out of your head. And if you don't have the protection of this colony, he's going to do it. And John's like, what? And, and Dargo's like, yeah, Scorpius is here and he told me about this. And John's like, and what were you going to do with this information? And Dargo's like, I, I told you. <laughs> I had this conversation, then I found you and told you what the deal was. Yeah, Dargo's like, I'm not Rigel. I wasn't going to betray you. I just came here to tell you so we could figure out a plan. But, like, tactically, the best thing you can do to make sure we don't all die and you don't get your brain slorched out of your head is to impregnate that lady. So go to it, dude. And then John says that he is not going to be the reverse King Arthur, the person who can put the sword in the stone. It's pretty dirty for whatever TV this was on. I'm telling you, it's a horny show. Like, I've been making a lot of sticking things in people's bits jokes this episode, and on Twitter, and basically all the time forever, because I work incredibly blue. I'm like Xan. Yeah. But it was cruder than I thought they were going to go to in the show itself. (laughs) I'm not going to, as the French say cram it into her (laughs) so back on moya zan is like oh no scorpius didn't follow us and this is the kind of thing i hate about zan okay because she's like oh no we have abandoned our shipmates and 
you made a tactical decision that you thought would save them. And Pilate's like, Zan, this was your decision too. Don't get all drama queen on me now. Because, you know, now that Moya has starburst away, it's going to be hard to find their way back. Yeah, like in that awful episode where John lived on Robinson Crusoe planet. Yeah, the Jeremiah Crichton episode. Yeah, like it took them like four months to find him. It took them long enough for John to grow a bushy beard. And I guess Ben Browder's facial hair grows in kind of slow. <laughs> like mine takes like a couple of weeks. This one guy at work, back when work was a thing you could be at, mm-hmm. he was talking to me about trying to grow out a beard. And he was like, how did, how did you grow your beard? And I was like, I literally did nothing and it happened. This This is what happens when I do nothing, which was not helpful for him. Yeah. Some Sometimes people just have facial hair that comes in a lot. Back when I shaved my face more than I do now, I got my five o'clock shadow at like one in the, <laughs> like I had to shave a lot to keep it as down as it was. And after a certain point, you're just like, okay, I'm just going to grow a beard. It's not worth it. It's not worth it unless you're like a Marvel actor and you can just pay someone to shave you all the time. Oh man. Imagine like paying someone to come in and do like one of those hot straight razor shaves. Well, we, ju- we watched that uh, Drew Gooden video about how rich people are terrible at spending their money on houses. And it's like, instead of having all of those giant rooms where no one wants to spend any time, you could have a smaller house and a person who shaves you. Exactly. Exactly. I would be such a better rich person than rich people. Do you think it's satisfying being one of those people they pay to just play the piano in their houses all the time? Because, like... It has to be pay pretty well, and it has to be pretty easy money, but also you're basically playing for no one most of the time. Unless you have time to pursue your own stuff, unless it like gives you a lot of free time, I would think that after a while it would get pretty soul-crushing. Mm. Well, I'm sure that's true for most jobs. <laughs> right? Yeah. I, I tell this story all the time, but I remember talking to a guy who was a professional sommelier. Mm-hmm. So his job was literally to drink wine and suggest the most delicious ones to people. And he was like, ugh, work. I have to go into work tonight. And I was like, okay, if you feel like that, there's literally no job that doesn't make you feel like that. I mean, the thing that I enjoyed about my job, enjoy is probably too strong a word, is that it was, I mean, it was basically incredibly monotonous. It was basically just running Excel programs all day. Mm -hmm. But they let me listen to podcasts. So, like, the work itself was monotonous beyond all telling of it, but I just got through the day listening to podcasts and, you know, that was it. I didn't hate my job, which was the important thing. I feel like a lot of people straight up hate their jobs. Well, I feel like our generation was told... Find what you love to do and get someone to pay you to do it. And you'll never have to work a day in your life. Which is the opposite of what actually happens. Yeah, it turns out what happens is if someone pays you to do what you love, it sucks all the joy out of it. Yeah, like I have have friends who went into animation. Mm -hmm. And they talk about how like they never draw for fun. Like they don't do art for fun anymore because it just feels like work. Well, living in Portland, we have lots of friends who are in the creative arts, and yeah, it... It just, it makes, it makes your spark die. I mean, I love doing these podcasts, but the reason I don't think I would ever quit a day job, even if this became... Lucrative enough to do so. Yeah, is because it would suck the joy out of it. 
I mean... I mean, I don't know. Give me a chance to see if that's true. If you want to join our Patreon, yeah. give me a chance to see if that's true. We'll, we'll, we'll give it a shot. Yeah, definitely feel free to put that to the test, but... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's... So on the planet, John tells the prince, look, I'm not going to marry the princess because on my planet, we don't marry someone we don't love, which... I was going to say that's kind of Eurocentric of you, but that's not even Eurocentric. That's very specific time period and class centric, John. Yeah, only in the very small period of time in this small place is that true. Yeah, for the vast majority of people throughout history and on every other and on every part of the world, marriage was not a romantic thing. Yeah, and in, in some places it's still not. And whatever the point is get off your damn high horse john expand your mind a little bit john but the not even expand your mind i mean i guess expand your mind but he's talking about something that isn't even normal on earth when played against the vast tapestry of history this actually reminds me of this moment i really hated in this one episode of stargate Mm -hmm. where Teal'c is on trial on an alien planet, and and uh, O'Neill says, "Whatever happened to innocent until proven guilty?" And I'm like, "That's not even a thing on our entire planet, and you're on a different planet." Ugh. Anyway, on this planet, the Empress pulls John aside and is like, "Hey, my son is." a dipshit and we can't let him be king so i'm gonna need you to bang my daughter and marry her and he's like aren't you the empress couldn't you just be like hey she's the empress now you know like don't put your son in a position of power and she's like no because there needs to be a plot for this episode so despite being the empress i can't just be like she's the empress now she that's, can't be, though. That's not how it works, John. They have a very specific system of how things work. So wait, she's the empress, right? Yes. Why is her daughter the princess? Shouldn't there be a diminutive empret or something? Don't worry about it. Is this, the, is this the thing with, like, what is it, baroness, where it's for female baron and it's for female earl or whatever because they didn't ever come up with a female version of earl? Oh, you know what, though? Also, I'm pretty sure princess is the diminutive for Tsarina, too. Tsar and Tsarina, I think, is prince and princess. Hmm. Okay. I, I think the nomenclature is correct. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and say it is, even though I'm not sure. So John sees Scorpius because Scorpius is here, and he has, like, flashbacks to all of those times that Scorpius, you know... Tried to suck stuff out of his brain. Yeah, using the chair. And then Scorpius looks like he's about to make out with John. He starts Smallville talking. He's like, hey, buddy. Still got a brain full of that wormhole knowledge. You want to let me suck some of that wormhole knowledge out of your brain? And John's like, please stop touching me. And the Empress is like, so you can marry the princess or I'm going to turn you over to Scorpius. Which is not a real choice. Wah, wah. I'm surprised Scorpius is as cool with this. Is he that confident in John not wanting to have sex with this lady? Right? So John walks over to the princess and he's like, okay, okay, just just tell me what I'm supposed to do here. And the princess is like, 
there's one I love too, but this is a thing of duty. Oh, oh, oh. Okay, so I actually really like the princess here because she's like, I want to be the empress. I want to have children. And John's like, even if we're miserable? And she's like, well, I won't make you miserable. We'll, we'll have... You know, we'll be partners. Jesus in... Christ, dude, grow the fuck up. Yeah, we'll be partners in this endeavor. It doesn't matter that we don't love each other. We we can like each other and do this together. Look, I'll just set you up in a fancy lad room somewhere off in the, you know, side of my palace. You can just do whatever you want. I don't care. You just got to give me a baby every couple of years or so. Right. Done. You don't need to be such a giant, whiny man-child about this, you fucking baby. Right? Oh, boo-hoo, I don't get to marry whoever I want. Grow up, John. Oh, no, I have to live in the lap of luxury instead of being hunted by a guy who wants to suck out my brain juices. (laughs) Meanwhile, speaking of people who need to grow up, Aaron is like, hey, John... I guess you're just gonna give in and marry the princess because she's so hot and rich. And John's like, no, it's my other choice is Scorpius sucking my brain out. <sighs> then open shirt Joe, a guy who was kind of sniffing around Aaron in the bar, comes up and he's like, hey, it's good to meet you guys gonna fuck the princess. Hey, Aaron, have you seen how open my shirt is? Have you noticed that I'm the one guy on this planet that doesn't have weird short bangs? Instead, I have... Kevin Sorbo Hercules hair. He does. Did you happen to notice this character's name? What is it? Dragon Carzanova. Carzanova, like Casanova. Oh my God! Boo! <laughs> Ugh! No! No! Ugh! God! Boo! And I like stuff like that. I like the fact that there is a Legion of Superheroes character named Jonah who got his powers by being eaten by a space whale. He's Ultra Boy. But after Carzanova hits on Aaron and she turns him down, she tells John, like, we can fight our way out of this. You don't have to marry or be turned over to Scorpius. We fought our way past Scorpius before. And John's like, okay, I don't have a plan. And I'm the guy with plans. So, yeah. Yeah. So the princess meets up with the chancellor guy, who's the one that she really loves. Yes, Counselor Tino. I I like that she's having the same conversation that Aaron was having, where she's like, why don't you just say, fuck it all, and we're going to run off together, and everyone else can just deal with my megalomaniacal brother. And she starts, she starts kissing this dude, who is very good looking, despite the... Terrible haircut? Yeah, or good looking enough. Meanwhile, someone's watching them from the bushes. Must be a friend of theirs. Okay, well, Aaron is watching them, and it's like, oh no, I am seeing something revealing, but... I don't know, this whole planet has kind of a free love vibe to it, so... Also, why why is it surprising that the princess has someone that she loves that she can't marry because her DNA has been poisoned? Like, we knew about the DNA poisoning part. Also... I mean, I know they they split off from the Peacekeepers, but isn't sex, like, not a big deal at all with the Peacekeepers? Yes! Or is this because they were kissing, it's illicit and forbidden? No, sex is not a big deal with Peacekeepers, and honestly, I don't feel like it's a big deal on this planet either. So, Aaron... They do have a real free love vibe going. Oh, yes. So, Aaron goes to the bar to get drunk. And Shiana's like, you're not mad at John, you're mad at yourself, because if you hadn't been 
pushing him away, you two would be up on Moya having sex right now and none of this would have happened. I don't think that's true. That's 100% true. They still would have, you know, encountered the ships and Rigel would have still had the whole I need to go down to the planet thing and Scorpius still would have been right behind them. Okay. The princess situation probably wouldn't have happened, but like... Oh, the princess situation is what I meant. Yeah. And I I guess I was assuming that... Actually, they probably still would have made him kiss the princess because... Well, I mean, I'm kind of working off the assumption that after the scene that we see in the module, if Aaron had been like, yes, let's bang, then John would have been like, okay, y'all go get supplies. I'm going to stay here on the ship and bang Aaron. Because, hmm. you know, they're both very sexy and very horny. I don't know. I feel like it's a, I feel like it's a Lilo from Futurama thing. Okay, I need to sign up to my friends have a tendency to die when I'm not around. Hmm. Yeah. They might have made Zan go down to the planet. Oh, God. Uh, spores. Meanwhile, in Zan's plot line, which... Barely a plot. Well, barely a plot this episode. Mm. It'll come in later. But essentially, Moya is not going to go find John because she is feeling a call. She has to follow the call that she is feeling. So that's what's going on with Moya. Into the unknown. Into, Into the, the unknown. unknown. Exactly. Yeah. She's feeling the call, essentially, of her creator, calling her back. Meanwhile, Aaron and Gorn are having a angry conversation in a fireplace room. <laughs> you know what it does? It reminds me of the room that, uh, it reminds me of the red room that the sleeping curse puts you in in Once Upon a Time, except that it's not on fire. Yes. Yes, Exactly. So, apparently, I'm sorry, they're not actually called Gorn. What, what is he? What Scarns. Apparently, Scarns are also telepathic because Jesus Christ, pick a lane. Oh, we have fire beams and also we're telepathic and also we look like weird horse creatures. They're supposed to look like lizards. They're supposed to look like dragons. Yeah, well, they don't. They look like horses. Scaly horses. Well, they look like the weird horse creatures from Redacted. Oh, yes. They do look like that. Yes. Yeah. You'll know what I'm talking about if you know what I'm talking about. And if you don't, I feel bad because I can't recommend it because I just spoiled it for you. But it's a really good movie, so hopefully you'll watch it coincidentally independent of this. So... Spoiler alert, it's a movie. So, Aaron and the Skarin do some hand-to-hand combat before the Empress comes and breaks it up. And she's like, Jesus fucking space Christ. I left you for five goddamn minutes alone, and you're having fisticuffs. I could, you know how easily I could have you both killed? I could have you killed so easily. But instead, you know what? I'm going to give you a freebie because you brought, like, that sex guy to the planet for my daughter to fuck. And I don't want to get into a whole thing with the fire-breathing horse people. So, you know what? You both get a freebie. Don't do it again. Yes. So, we go from here to the DNA lab, where they're confirming that John and the princess are, in fact, going to produce a child. And Tyna's like, hey, um, John, I couldn't help but notice that you're not actually Sebastian. And what are you? John says that he's human. And Tyna's like, can you just, like... Keep that under wraps, then. Let's not let people know that. Hmm. 
So the princess calls John over and shows him that this DNA machine can also show them what their children will likely look like. And so it generates a baby. A baby. A a a, a male a male infant for John to hold and look at and realize, "Oh my god, I'm a father." You know. So is this like a hard light hologram or Yes, it's like a hard light hologram. Okay. But, you know, it's a baby and you know, John gets very emotional. And both Tino and Aaron see this from a distance and are like getting their hearts ripped out over it. A baby? I freaking love babies. Oh. Is this the one that's uh Ben Browder's kid, or is that when she's like, hey, let's age this up so you know you can see what he's like when he's a small boy child? Um, the aged up one is is his. So th- that's what happens. Then we age him up to like five years old and it's the five-year-old is played by Ben Browder's actual son, which is great because when Rachel's like, wow, he even looks like you. He he does kind of look like Ben Browder because, you know. He's his actual child. And Rigel's like, I wish we had a device that did this. I would have, you know, not impregnated some of my thousands of wives. And then the machine turns off and uh, Ben Browder is like, so that's what our kid's going to look like. And... Johnny Shortbangs, but not evil Shortbangs. Counselor, what's his bucket? Tino. Tino. He's like, that's one of many possibilities for what your children might look like. And John's like, so it's a useless device then. Well, actually, they can do gene manipulation. So when he says it's one of many possibilities, it's one of many possibilities that you can choose. Hmm. Yeah. Do you have this in blonde? Exactly. So... Tino tells John that there's a lot of shit he has to do before the coronation, including figure out the pose for his statue. And here John learns the rub. Yeah. So apparently in order to be a good ruler, they freeze you as a sentient conscious statue and stick you in like the council meeting room so you can listen to a thousand years of people doing politics and then at the end of that thousand years of people doing politics, you will know all of the politics and you will therefore be a good ruler. Yeah. Okay. Also, there's like a continuity of government that happens there. Mm. So meanwhile, the prince and his fiance are freaking out about what's going on. Well, the prince is. And so the Scarin tortures him and is like, I am the one. With heat beams that it shoots out of its hands. Yes. And is like, I am the one in charge here. And then he starts to worry about the fiance betraying him. So he he turns the heat beam on her and is like, what were you thinking about while I was torturing your fiance? And very Cordelia like, she's like, I was worried that you would wear that tacky outfit to our wedding. Yeah, this is real Christmas Prince vibes. They really feel like the villain and his wife from the first movie. I think she was a fiance. I don't think they were married in the first movie. I want to say how much I like in A Christmas Prince 2. They just brought back the evil guy from the first movie and he's like part of the gang now. Yeah. And he even hooks up spoiler alert for the Christmas (laughs) Prince movies. We haven't seen the third one yet, so I don't know if they're still together, but he hooks up with her best friend from back home. Yeah. I appreciate the Christmas Prince series' commitment 
to getting literally every character, no matter how minor laid. The main character's dad, who was in the first movie for like 15 seconds, her gay best friend, her lady best friend. Well, also in the second movie, it becomes clear that the cousin probably would have been a better ruler because he uses his financial background to realize that the kingdom is being embezzled from. Yeah. Yeah, which which the Christmas prince didn't realize that. Nope, he had no idea. So John storms in on Shiana and Dargo having sex again. For the second time this episode. Except this time he doesn't even care because he's so upset about how he's going to be turned into a statue. And he's like, Dargo... Why didn't you tell me about the turning into a statue thing? And Dargo's like, I thought you knew about the being it turned into a statue thing. I love how he's yelling at Dargo while Dargo, where, well, Dargo's under the sheets, but Shiana's writhing naked on top of him. So I'm sure that uh, the actress was thrilled that they had to do body makeup for her. Oh, God, I know, right? Yeah. So she's kind of like, I wasn't, wasn't really uh, aware that you could do that much. I don't want to say thrusting, riding, because she's moving a lot while John is complaining to Dargo while Dargo is underneath her. I I appreciate Gigi Edgley's commitment to her cat-like movements, even during, like, sex scenes. Hmm. But he's like, how can I do this? How can I turn my back on love? And Dargo's like, well, if you don't do this, we're all going to die and your brain's going to become space tapioca. So maybe think about doing it. I actually really love this moment because John says that if he does this, you know, if he's frozen for, it's it's 80 years, but if he's frozen as a statue for 80 years, everyone he knows will be dead and what will be the point? He won't, you know, have anything to be striving for, to get home, to find. And Dargo wisely, I think, tells him maybe this is the path you're supposed to be on. Maybe this is your destiny. Maybe Also, you're... dude, there's no way you're getting home, so calm down. <laughs> right? But yeah, maybe you're not supposed to find a way home. Maybe you're supposed to marry this woman, have children, be a great emperor, you know, run the planet, you know, as a fair ruler. Oh, that's so optimistic to think that he's going to be doing the ruling. I mean, I, I guess he is. I guess he's not just like the trophy husband in the situation. Otherwise, they wouldn't be putting him in there. They'd be putting him in, like, husband class or whatever while she's observing the ruling. So I guess... I think they co-rule. I think I think it's definitely a partnership situation. Mm. And so John accepts, okay, I guess this is what I'm going to do. And he, he shows his acceptance by asking Dargo if he'll be his best man. And Dargo responds, John, I- I'm with Chiana now. Which I appreciate because the joke is not a gay panic joke. It's a, not now. <laughs> like, implying that were he not with Chiana, they could get down. Well, his body did attempt to jerk off John's body a couple episodes ago. Accurate. That is an accurate statement. Which I didn't, I don't think I mentioned it at the time, but it really reminded me of the body swap episode of Futurama. Where Leela's, Leela and Fry are having an argument, mm-hmm. and they keep the argument going even as they're jumping bodies, and they end up having set like they end up having makeup sex when they're in oh, Zoidberg and the professor's yes. bodies. That's inappropriate. You can't borrow someone's body and then do that. Anyway, John 
goes back to his quarters and he's trying on the Emperor wedding clothes. Coat. Yeah. Did he pick out his pose? He has not picked out his pose. We'll address that. We'll actually address that in the next episode. Mm. Yeah. His pose is a, a minor thing. And Aaron comes in once again to yell at him for not, you know, fighting. Like, just, we'll just blast our way past Scorpius and figure something out. And John tells her about the Scorpius hallucinations he's been having and how frightened he is of whatever it is that Scorpius has done to him. And Aaron's like, yeah, I'm not going to make it to the wedding. And John's like, okay. John says he needs her there and she says that she needs to not be there. I I really like the John is addressing the fact that he has trauma from the Aurora chair. Like, it's not... It didn't happen and then get forgotten about. Hmm. It's it's a real and lasting thing that's having real lasting effects on John. And not just because there may or may not be physical effects that are still affecting him. Hmm. I said effect a lot. Yeah. So Aaron storms out because, you know, she does not like the situation. John's not a huge fan of the situation either. I think it's really selfish of Aaron to, to do that, to storm out. I mean, I understand that she... Is also upset, but it's hard for John too, and maybe support him. I, I don't know. I mean, obviously it's devastating for her too. I just it's emotionally complicated all around. Yeah. So things that are not emotionally complicated: an assassin comes in and tries to assassinate John. John handily kicks the guy's ass. The guy really easily takes out the John's guard. Like, ridiculously easy takes out John's guard. So, some other white coat guys come in. They beat John. They grab him. John gets shot in the throat with a face imploding laser. And I guess that's the end of Farscape. Yep, to be continued. But John's definitely dead. No question about it. John is definitely dead. Gone forever. All The rest of Farscape is just about... Not John. No, obviously, obviously, John's, John's not dead. Spoilers. It's such a bad mislead. Like, oh no, his face is melting. I'm sure it's, I don't know, a teleportation beam or something, and it just looks... Well, as I mentioned to you before, I mean, I guess this is a slight spoiler, but this is episode 11. Episode 12 also ends with John appearing to be killed. God. But that's it for this episode. We have two more before we conclude this story. And I get that you didn't care for this episode, but I really feel like as we get to the payoff, it'll be the kind of thing that you would like more on rewatch because, you know. Yeah. This is one story and we only watched the first third of it. It's hard to judge something when you've only seen the first third of it. That is true. But we should do our segments or should we wait and do our segments after the third episode? I don't know. What do you think? I think that our only segment for the three-parters should be the what do you think is going to happen? And we'll hold off on our segments until we've seen all three parts. So this is Max's first time watching Farscape, as you know, our listeners. So we're going to add a new segment to just this episode and the next episode where Max will tell us how he thinks it's going to conclude, having not seen the second or third part yet. Okay, so I think John is going to have a baby, but I think it's going to be with Aaron due to something. Okay. 
Uh, I think that they're going to think that the baby dies, but it's not. Because otherwise, I feel like the show would become all about the search for the baby. So I feel like... Actually, let me amend that. They're either not going to know about the baby, or they're going to think the baby dies. Interesting. And uh, the princess is definitely going to eat it. No way she makes it out of this three-parter alive. So the description for the next episode is... After an assassination attempt, Crichton is placed in hiding, only to be handed over to Scorpius. Arr. Right? I mean, that's act two, right? So, the all is lost moment! Alright, so that'll about do it for this week. Yeah, that'll do it for this week. Our show is partially listener-supported. If you want to be one of the supporters, so I can test out my theory about whether or not I want to do this full-time, <laughs> you can head over to our website, www.welcometotelevision.net, and click on our Patreon link. We like to thank our current five dollar and above patrons: Beryl, Patricia, Sam, Cassidy, Alex, Alicia, Ryan, Maracruz, Rosa, Javier, Benjamin, Kyle, and Kate. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you could always rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode or any episode or any episode of any television show, you should join our Facebook group, Welcome to Television. We can also be contacted at I Love TV Zines on Twitter or at I Love Television Zines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. 